we are going to turn to God's word this morning before we go to the table. My encouragement to you is to think of both the ministry of God's word this morning and the sacrament of communion as a narrative whole this morning. So let's begin to head towards the table as we open God's word. Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are in week four of a series called Greater Than. Uh, We're studying the book of Hebrews. If we went verse by verse in the book of Hebrews, it would take us a whole lot longer than five weeks. but we are, we are picking certain passages uh, in the book of Hebrews that encourage us to follow Jesus. Uh, that's our theme for this school year, is following Jesus, discipleship. The book of Hebrews repeatedly uses this phrase, greater than or better than, uh, 13 different times in the book of Hebrews uh, to describe who Jesus is. And we've been studying how Jesus is greater than any number of different things that we could talk about. We've looked at Jesus as the Son of God who is greater than or better than the angels. Jesus, who is a greater or better high priest than even the high priest Aaron in the Old Testament. Jesus, who is the greatest sacrifice, far better than the animal sacrifices that these Jewish Christians were aware of. And today we look at an iconic text, uh, a stunning text this morning from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Would you please stand uh, as you're able As I read this text this morning, feel your feet on the ground, take a deep breath, be reminded that this is God's word for us this morning. If you fall asleep in anything else that I have to say, that's okay, because this is the the showstopper right here, God's word and God's very presence. This is the living and active word of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let's run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself, From sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls or lose heart. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So, we can't really understand fully this remarkable text without knowing what precedes this text. Uh, The reason that I say that is because of that first word there, therefore. Um, whenever you see therefore in the Bible or really any other literature, it's a signal that you have to read what came before it, the passage that precedes it. And it also tells you that what you're about to read is going to make sort of a final point on whatever you've just read. These three verses are the conclusion of an argument that has taken a whole chapter for the author of Hebrews to make. Hebrews 11 is that chapter, and it is commonly known as the chapter of the cloud of witnesses, the cloud of witnesses. Um, This last Tuesday, by the way, was a high holy day in the church. It is All Saints Day. Um, I don't know how many of you celebrated, but you may know that you celebrated, many of you celebrated Halloween 
uh, on Monday, which is actually a pagan add-on to what is one of the highest holy days in the church, All Saints Day. And All Saints Day is where we celebrate those who have died in the faith and await a final resurrection. We give thanks for those who have died in Christ. Hebrews 11 is often read on All Saints Day because in it the author sets to walk through faith heroes of the Old Testament. And the author does this, starts with Abel and Enoch, kind of like the first two characters after Adam and Eve, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham. And the author begins to walk through these Old Testament characters and and the faith that they show in a way that one might use it uh, like a a review session for an introduction to the Old Testament class or something like that. But then the author gets to the book of Judges and things begin to um, speed up. Uh, I think the author maybe realizes I can't go through every character. This isn't going to work. So let me pick this up starting in verse 32 if you're following along. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, through who, uh, who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and obtained promises and shut the mouths of lions and quenched fire. The power of fire escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Amen to that. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Yet all of these heroes of the faith, though they were commended for their faith, they did not receive what was promised in their lifetime. Since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us here today, be made perfect. There are lists like this, lists of people throughout Jewish writings. And you need to know that the most important parts of those lists always are whoever comes at the end. And in this case, the list is kind of predictable of who comes at the end. What's the Sunday school answer, everybody? Jesus. Jesus comes at the end of this list. Jesus, the great high priest, the ultimate sacrifice, he comes at the end of this list of heroes because he's the greatest. He's the best. But there is something else going on here. The author of Hebrews is is writing to an audience of of Jews who have accepted Jesus. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. They've accepted Jesus, and they are wrestling with combining this new Christian faith that they have and their Jewish faith, their Jewish heritage. And the author is seeking to actually address this in chapter 11 and chapter 12, doing so by continually presenting the Old Testament as a story, but not just a story, as an unfinished story. A story that's not done. A story that requires a final chapter. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Here's the story of the Old Testament, and it requires a final chapter. Um, Allow me to illustrate for you. Uh, This is the island of Lindisfarne. Uh, It's in England, also known as Holy Island. Um, Has anyone ever been here, by the way? Anyone been there? No, this is on my short list. I think we should all go. Uh, This is on my short list of places that I would love to visit. Um, Lindisfarne is at the end of a pilgrim's journey called St. Cuthbert's Way. Um, St. Cuthbert was a revered minister in the 7th century uh, in the borderlands between Scotland and England. 
St. Cuthbert's Way is 100 kilometers exactly, 100 kilometers long. Um, it's a path that starts in the town of Melrose because that was the birthplace of St. Cuthbert. And it ends on Holy Island, Lindisfarne, uh, which is where St. Cuthbert is buried. And uh, there are many different places along the way that tell the story of St. Cuthbert. Uh, people have been making this pilgrimage for centuries in gratitude for his ministry and his mission and his witness uh, and the importance of it in that region. Uh, the journey winds through charming villages and, and beautiful countryside. It is marked with signposts uh, along the way um, that let you know that you are on the right path. I think there's a picture of one of those signposts. Is that on there, Caleb? That's all right. Um, there, the, you can see that you're on the right way. There's uh, signs like this one. And you can see that there's like a, a white cross on the top of that signpost. That's St. Cuthbert's cross. Beautiful way. And, and this is a cool pilgrimage. It's not, it's not totally unique. I mean, there are lots of pilgrimages like this throughout the world, especially uh, in Europe. Um, but what makes this pilgrimage particularly unique is the last two kilometers of this 100-kilometer journey. You see, you can only get to Lindisfarne to Holy Island on certain hours of certain days. There is a causeway that, uh, that marks the way to Lindisfarne, but more often than not, it is obscured due to rising tides. It's covered in water. So you can start in Melrose on your 100-kilometer journey and be on the right path following every single signpost the entire way, and the road would lead you all the way to Holy Island, but you would get to the last leg and the road would disappear. It requires a final chapter final leg of the journey, a dry causeway like this one, for the pilgrim to arrive at their destination. And according to the author of Hebrews, the Old Testament is sort of like St. Cuthbert's way when the, the tide is high, right? The final section of the journey, which allows you to get to the destination in the Old Testament, is Jesus himself. He's the one who comes at the end of the list, specifically as we discussed last week, the sacrifice that he made that brings us into a new covenant relationship with God. So the author of Hebrews is saying that the Jewish scriptures are, all of these heroes of the faith are continually pointing beyond themselves to a further reality which they themselves do not contain. That story is not complete. Every bit of that Old Testament journey is vitally important in terms of leading us to our final destination. Every character, every hinge point, every sign along the way in that story is pointing to the great act of salvation, the Messiah who's to come, um, the, the mortal problem of sin. And they're pointing to things that they cannot solve themselves. Jesus and his great sacrifice is the causeway that guides us during a time of low tide to our final destination, new covenant relationship with God. And since this act has been accomplished by Jesus, we therefore must follow Jesus. And that's exactly what our text instructs us to do. To set our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus, and to follow him. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, which means that he's the trailblazer, he's the pioneer, he's the one who went before us. And he did so so perfectly that he is a perfect model for us to follow. All signs point to him, and he's worth following. Um, I remember living with this passage, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, as a teenager. Um, this passage was a theme in our church's youth group one of the, one of the years I was in youth group. Um, I remember it was tied with athletics in a number of different ways. I'm pretty sure we had a t-shirt with like a marathon runner and this verse was on the back. Um, but my actual view of the imagery in this text has changed a little bit uh, at, with further study. 
where it says in verse 1, let us run the race that's before us, um, I want to offer a different translation. Uh, a, a scholar, Zoe Hollinger, makes a pretty compelling case that when uh, th- these two Greek words run and race, they're two different words, um, when, they, when they are put together, they actually don't connote like an athletic competition. Um, the word for race in the original language, can what it really means is to strive or to struggle, to struggle. So rather than run the race, which can make it sound like this is sort of like, a, you know, you invite your friend and, hey, we're going to do a race, so it'll be fun. Um, I'm actually drawn to a translation that says, let us undergo the struggle that's before us. Let's undergo the struggle. This makes way more sense in terms of the little that we do know about the audience of, of the book of Hebrews. As I shared a few weeks ago, I'm really convinced that this is a group of Jewish Christians who are in Rome uh, sometime in the 60s. And if that's true, then this is a group of, of Jewish Christians who are under um, immense persecution from Emperor Nero, who was a callous and ruthless leader. He blamed Christians for the great fire in Rome, even though he started it himself and kind of everybody knew that. Um, so there's really good evidence that the, these Jewish Christians who first received this letter, they were struggling with their newfound Christianity because they were realizing that it may well cost them their lives to claim Jesus. It may well cost them their lives. So the letter makes it clear that they were tempted to simply revert back to Judaism, to go backwards, to renounce Christ because the persecution had become so normative for them. And in that context, it makes a whole lot more sense to have the chapter 12, which is the climax of the book of Hebrews, by the way, to encourage them to fix their eyes on Jesus so that they can not just run a fun run, right, but to undergo the struggle before them, to undergo the struggle before them, a struggle that may well cost them their lives. So with that context in mind, hopefully you kind of get a sense of this passage, where it's coming from. I want to read the passage again for you from a wholly different translation. This is Eugene Peterson's The Message, which we use uh, frequently here. Um, This is not a word-for-word translation. It's a paraphrase, uh, purposefully. It's a paraphrase. Um, But it so beautifully captures the heart of this passage in our language here today. Let me read it for you. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans that are cheering us on, it means that we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over Jesus' story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I love that translation. If all these fruitful, faithful heroes of the, of the Old Testament endured so much by faith without finishing that final leg of the journey, that should spur us on in our journey. If we keep our eyes and our hearts and our lives fixed on Jesus, the one who went before us and, and faithfully finished the struggle, the race, struggling more than we can comprehend and made a way for us, then we can have a life of faith that even those heroes of the Old Testament that we still talk about today, they couldn't have dreamed about. That should motivate us. That should encourage us. 
But let me ask, what's the message for us here this morning? Um, We are not a group of Christians who are tempted to renounce our faith and return to a practicing, law-abiding Judaism, right? We're not a group who experience life-threatening persecution for our Christian devotion. I don't think that's any of us here. So what's the message for us here today? Does this text still speak? And of course the answer is yes. Yes, it still speaks. Because if Jesus was the pioneer and the perfecter of faith for those first readers who first received this letter, that has not in any way changed for us here today. He's still the pioneer. He's still the perfecter. And our eyes should still be fixed upon him. Um, To extend the analogy, one of the fascinating things about Lindisfarne is that every single year, dozens of people need to be rescued uh, from the causeway. Uh, It is most often vehicles that are submerged because the drivers did not heed the warnings and they thought that they could um, make it, they could beat the the rising tide. Um, The vast majority of abandoned cars and rescued individuals, this will be a shock to you, are tourists, right? Um, They didn't plan very well. They were taking too many pictures. Uh, They didn't understand the urgency or the danger. They didn't follow the signs along the way of this journey. Um, And I just look at like that little red car on the bottom. Isn't that like such a perfect analogy for our faith life sometimes? It's so pathetic. I I just, um, Jesus makes a way for us, a clear way to have a relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He sacrifices his very life so that we could journey to God, a gift that the heroes of the Old Testament were worthy of but, but, but never experienced and could only have dreamed of. And we're so often like these aloof tourists in a little red car whose cars are filling up with water and we need to be rescued. And we're invited to better than this. We're invited to better than this. We're invited in this text to lay aside every weight and sin that entangles us. Or in Peterson's words, no extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. So if I may, I want to just offer three suggestions from Scripture that apply to both the original hearers who first received this letter, but also to us here today. Three things that we need to leave behind as we fix our eyes on Jesus. The first is leave your sin behind. Leave your sin behind. Uh, This is actually prescribed clearly in this text. We're to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. Um, We can read this kind of quickly and and miss the impact or the import of those words and what that actually means. But here's, here's the reality, and if you haven't heard this clearly, you need to. Unconfessed sin weighs us down. It weighs us down. Unconfessed sin causes us to take our eyes off Jesus. Unconfessed sin makes us drive slower while the car is filling up with water. But Hebrews just spent numerous chapters explaining that Jesus came for the express purpose of dealing with sin. Sin that we are unable to deal with on our own. So when we allow sin to entangle our lives and slow us down, what we're really doing is we're spurning the gift of Jesus Christ, which he came on earth to give to us. So I just want to own that some of us here today might already be convicted that we're hanging on to sin. Some of them are public. People around us know it. Most of them, I guess, is that they're more private. But either way, I just want you to know that those are doing damage to your relationship with Jesus. And they're impeding your ability to fix your eyes on him. 
So here's the beauty, my dear friend, if that's you today, if that hits home for you, you do not have to disentangle yourself. What you do is you confess those sins to Jesus, and you ask for his help. And what Jesus will do is he'll lower the tides, and he will dry you out, he'll give you a push, and he's going to make a new and fresh path before you today. So if that invitation is calling to your heart, do not waste a minute. Let's shed the weight of unconfessed sin. Second, leave the past behind. My guess is that some of the cars that get stuck on the causeway is because people were taking their time over the 98 kilometers that they had already journeyed. Maybe they were preoccupied with the last village they were in or that awesome inn that they stayed at and the great breakfast they had or whatever. It was the journey that they had been on and looking back at that was the weight for them. And certainly this applies to the original audience because those original Jewish Christians were thinking, hey, let's just go back to what we had before. Isn't the Jewish tradition like good enough? Do we really need to do this? Let's just go back. And we too here today can become preoccupied with the past. I see it all the time. With experiences of our faith from long ago, with old wounds that still hurt us with nostalgia for days gone by. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're going, if I, if I could just go back to that, that spiritual high in that season of my life or at summer camp or, or whatever, that, that spiritual high that I experienced, if I could just go back there. Or if our church could just go back to the way it was X amount of years ago, it was so much better then. Or if I could change this one thing in my past or if I could just understand why that person hurt me then I can move forward. But what's the call in the text? The text is, fix your eyes on Jesus. Which implicitly implies that our eyes are not fixed on what's behind us, what's already occurred. We can honor that journey. We can take joy in where we've been. We can perhaps grieve the losses that we feel from our past. We can still have questions about that. But Jesus is before us. He is calling us forward, not backward. Some of you love to live in the past. And I want you to hear today that Jesus is calling you forward into the future. That is the glorious destination that he has for you. It's in front of you. It's not behind you. Third, leave old laws behind. Perhaps some of the tourists in those cars were weighed down because they were reading old tide charts or they got waylaid by an old map. And we can do that as well. Just as silly as it would have been for those Jews who received the book of Hebrews to, to return to sacrificial and, and cleanliness laws of the past, things that Jesus had made obsolete, we too can find ourselves living under laws that weigh us down. These laws are any rules that we take upon ourselves that Jesus did not tell us to take upon ourselves that pull our focus away from him. Maybe they're regulations or ways of being or ideologies, legalism of, of many different kinds. Maybe you've been told, yes, Jesus loves you so much, but don't play cards or don't dress that way. Or you need to be passionate about the things I'm passionate about. Or you need to follow these rules. And I'm not saying that there's, any, there's not any wisdom in some of those things, but these things are the things that Jesus came to actually free us from. And we all too often cling to old laws in our lives. 
these are the ways that I think the text is, is really speaking to us. That we're called to leave behind our sins. We're called to leave behind our past. We're called to leave behind old laws. And, and let me just say it if you're already thinking it. These are really, really hard things to do. It's not as simple as being like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. These, this, is, this is hard work. But that is where this text stuns us with its brilliance. We are called to undergo the struggle before us, but we don't do so alone. Verse 2 says, we do so looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you might not grow weary and you might, in your souls and you might not lose heart. So we can shed our sin and we can move forward. We can get ourselves unstuck from the past that we've been preoccupied with. We can unload the burden of old laws that Jesus never intended because Jesus has already done all that. He's done it. And that's what makes him the pioneer and the perfecter. He went before us and he dealt with the penalty for sins. He went before us and he moved beyond the past to a glorious future. He finished that story. He went before us and and he replaced old laws with a new covenant, one based in grace. He is the trailblazer. He's the pioneer. And he did it so perfectly that he's the perfect person to follow. So lastly, let me just say this. For those of you who feel weighed down in your life, those who feel stuck in their faith, those who feel spiritually lost or spiritually numb, those who feel deep guilt and shame that is operative all the time, those of you who just feel restless in your soul, God has given you this text as like a hand-wrapped gift for you today. You're feeling the way you're feeling because you're on the causeway and the water is rising. And your eyes are looking down, or they're looking back, or they're looking sideways. And friends, the call is fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's before you. He's already made a way for you out of where you are. And he has something so wonderful in front of you. And he's given you an example to follow. Today's the day to move forward. And you aren't alone where you are. In fact, there are centuries of faith heroes who have been exactly where you are. They are the pioneers who blaze the way for us. And they're cheering us on. So as Peterson says, we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, don't quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Jesus demands our attention, so let's fix our eyes on him. Because he both began and finished the race that we are in, the struggle that we're in. He's the model worth following and studying. He dealt with everything and worse, cross, shame, whatever. So, When you feel stuck, fix your eyes on Jesus yet again. That is a daily practice, my friend. Consider all that he went through and consider all that he offers us on the other side. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the great pioneer, who is the true perfecter. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your great sacrifice that you've gone before us and made a way for us. Lord, would you teach us, we humbly ask that you would teach us what it means to 
fix our eyes upon you. The pioneer, the perfecter of faith. And when we feel weighed down, when we feel discouraged, when we feel at a loss, would you keep our eyes fixed upon you so that we can see the ways in which you've endured so much, the way in which you underwent the struggle willingly and with joy so that we might do the same. Thank you, Jesus, for leading the way. Would you give us the courage to follow, we pray in your name.